Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti, and this week we don't have Nick joining me for once. We have a sub in, Arvin from Back to Excited. He also writes for PensionPlanPuppets.com. How you doing, Arvin? I'm doing well. I've had had some time to recover from, uh, you know, the trauma of this playoff series. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to enjoy enjoy my summer, uh, ignoring that hockey exists, except for these podcasts. <laughs> I will say that I've like, I have way more free time now that I'm not watching games. Like, I'm still watching the NHL playoffs, but it, I can miss a game, whereas at least I can't. It just feels like I'm living a whole different life now. Yeah, it's like uh, you feel like you've gained a lot of time back. And it kind of makes you question why we're sports fans or at least Leafs fans in general, right? We'd probably be so much more productive um, if, if we, if we you know, put that time into something useful. I think so. I've, I definitely have some questions about being a Leafs fan right now, but <laughs> I'll, I'll make you reflect for a bit. I want to start with, you know, I think with this episode, we'll, we'll try to get into just what we think we want them to do this offseason. Obviously, there's some bigger players, Marner, Hyman. But let's start just with your... I guess your two cents on the first round series between Toronto and Montreal. Obviously, they blew the 3-1 lead. Obviously, no one's happy about it. I guess if, if you were to say your key takeaways, what would they be for that first round series? Well, I think primarily I blame William Nylander. I think so. I think you have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, the, I guess the takeaway is overall, and maybe this is not so much a takeaway from this series, so much as it is a takeaway from kind of looking at the broader landscape of the NHL, is that the Leafs are not where we hoped they would be. And it was, you know, this comes after a regular season where I think there was, you know, reason to be quite positive about where the Leafs were. Um, obviously, it's a unique season that provided a unique opportunity as the Leafs being, you know, over the course of the regular season, the clear-cut best team in what I think we would universally agree is a weaker division, at least at the very top end, mm-hmm. than, than some of the others. Um and then, yeah, they really didn't bear that out in the playoffs in the way that we would have wanted them to. And then, you know, certainly you compare it to the way Tampa looks, the way Vegas and Colorado look, and you think, okay, you know, it just doesn't seem like we're in the same class as those teams. I would agree with that, too. I think when I'm watching Colorado and I'm watching Tampa, I don't know if it's just the power plays, even Vegas. Like, Vegas played an outstanding game against Colorado the other night, and you just question if the Leafs could have done that. Now, I do think that there are definitely some takes out there that are, you know, overreactive. Um, Naturally, you're going to get that when the Leafs haven't won a playoff series since 2004. I guess I would say I do think this team was was better than their previous versions. I did think that their problems were different in terms of, I did think the defense was much better than in previous seasons. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, it, it just seemed like, I don't know, like, I, th- it was such a close series, the fact that it was 3-1, and then you had two games go to overtime, where you really only needed one more thing to go well in order to win it. So if Matthews and Marner score more, you probably win the series. If, if Tavares is healthy, you probably win the series. If Price wasn't at the top of his game, you probably win the series. Uh, if you had a little bit of extra scoring depth, you might even win the series, despite Matthews and Marner. That's how close it was. Obviously, the power play... Or I guess if the Habs got a key injury instead of the Leafs getting a key injury, they, they definitely 
we're close enough to win this series when you have you know two potentially series clenching games going to overtime. But at the end of the day, it just feels like with this fan base, the no playoff win since 2004 is really starting to to get the people if it hadn't already. And then it's now been five playoff losses for the Leafs in this core. So when you look at this core, like I, I know Marner's taking a lot of heat. I guess how much do you believe that you know this core can't get it done versus they can make some adjustments and they have a, they'd have a decent shot next year? I guess I would never, I, this is perhaps a boring answer, I would never say a core cannot get it done because we say that about lots of players until they do. Right, um, you know, th- there's a laundry list of players who weren't playoff players until they were suddenly playoff players, um, and you know, guys like Matthews and Marner, Nylander and Tavares as well, are undeniably you know at- talented. They're at the top of their profession. You don't get to where they are by being mentally weak, right? I I, I genuinely don't believe that. Um, at the same time, you know, we do. It it, it it's inarguable that we've wasted a huge chunk of what should be this core's best years because you know the, the most notable change that's likely to happen in those four players over the next you know foreseeable future really is that John Tavares is probably going to get worse and the other three are probably going to stay the same maybe get a little bit better but realistically the biggest change is that John Tavares is going to age and you know we signed that deal with John Tavares um, knowing that the back end is he's not going to be worth 11 million uh, that even at the front end, 11 million was rich for uh, his, his play only. You, you know, you're paying for the scarcity of being able to acquire an elite talent. Um, and that's a deal I think everyone would still be on board with because it is truly very, very hard to find elite talent. And Tavares has more than lived up to his side of the bargain. Uh, the Leafs have accomplished nothing with that. So I guess to answer your question, I do think it's, it's entirely possible that you know, we run it back and then this core... Uh, does well enough to to win a series, win a couple series uh, a year from now or two years from now. That's not out of the equation at all, but we'd be doing ourselves a disservice to, um, you know, accept that blindly and to to not, like, evaluate at least a little bit deeper about about what the possible weaknesses that arise come playoff time are and how they can be mitigated, right? I I think... um, it's 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 happened often enough where it merits some discussion, right? It's not it's not a inherently stupid idea. Yeah, I think if I go back, like I know the 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 big thing I hear about all the time is that they haven't won since '04, and obviously all of those losses aren't on this core. Like 2005 is a lockout, and then basically from 2006 to and I'm even throwing 2013 in there, like there was just incompetence where you have just brutal signings. The team wasn't good enough. They wouldn't commit to the rebuild. They deserved to not have a playoff series win for those years. But I guess the last five years, like the start of the Matthews, Marner, Nylander era, like that first series against Washington, it felt like, okay, they were just happy to be there. They were a big underdog. They weren't, expected to win that series all was well after the first year that second year against boston they're still big underdogs their defense is still terrible i think it's pretty understandable codger gets suspended obviously i think it's pretty understandable why they lost that one but i guess the last three in particular the last two when they were when they were favorites but that last boston one obviously 
you know, Kadri getting suspended, I think, really flipped the series. I think they could have won that series. And then the the second Boston one definitely hurt because I think the Leafs were actually the better team at five on five in that series, and you know we couldn't contain Boston's power play at all, right? Like that that power play just carved us up repeatedly. Um, and you know we had we had we had leads at, at various points. We had a, a lead. A, we opened the scoring in Game Six. There was like a Riley goal. I'm pretty sure. And then was that the year Captain scored the the shorthanded breakaway at the end of? I believe so. Um, yeah, at the end of the second period in Game Seven to give us a lead, right? So we had a lead going to the third period of Game Seven. Um, it, it was like, actually, I'm not sure if that was that year or the year before. I think it was that the, year. the point is, um, the point is, you know, in that series, we we were there was no more excuses, right? Uh, there, were, it, it was a team where we felt okay, we can actually play with these guys. We have a good team at this point. It wasn't a great team, but we have a good team. Uh, and and we didn't get it done. But certainly, you know, the last two years are by far the least forgivable of any of these playoff losses. Because, I mean, frankly, Columbus and Montreal are not very good teams. They, they are average hockey teams. They're, they're not useless. They're not terrible. But they're average hockey teams. And the least couldn't beat them. Which can happen. It can happen to anyone. It happened to Tampa uh, with, with Columbus, obviously. Um, the difference being that Tampa has had previously established a track record of playoff success, and that you know even ignoring their playoff or their, their Stanley Cup win last year, also had a history of much greater regular season success, right? So, you know, we we can say that the Leafs got a little bit unlucky to lose both of those series to Columbus and to Montreal, and they did. Um, you know, there's absolutely a world where they win one or both, but at some point you do have to give yourself enough margin to. Uh, overcome these the vagaries of luck, the vagaries of the other goaltender gets hot, um, and to you know maximize your chances of winning. And we haven't done that. I think the biggest example of kind of leaving money on the table is the power play. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have Joe Thornton on there. I was a little bit frustrated about that. Um, I I was furious with that. It, it's it bothers me. It bothers me so much. I guess this is one of those things. Maybe I'm not respecting the complexity of creating a good power play. Um, but, you know, you have these coaches and these front office people, they're making six-figure salaries, some of them seven figures. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, hockey is not that complicated, right? It's hard. It's hard to analyze. It's hard to put stuff into, into practice. You know, the other guys are pros too. They're trying to stop you. But like, you know, we, we have people building rockets and shit. <laughs> and, you know, we can't figure out the best way to strategize to get five people to score a puck against four people like it shouldn't be that hard especially watching tampa for example like just the amount of shooting threats they have it's like kucherov and they have point in the middle is amazing in the middle and then they have stamkos mm-hmm. so just it just feels like they have one timers everywhere colorado the same thing with ranton and mckinnon on the outside no kadri suspended right now but you know he's typically very good in the middle uh with the mm-hmm. least it, it felt like matthews was the only shooting threat like marner's not a shooting threat Thornton's not a shooting threat. Hyman, everyone loves Hyman, not a shooting threat. Riley, who's normally on the top power play unit, not a shooting threat. So I I think we were definitely very frustrated about that. Um, in terms of the core, I think we we have seen both Matthews and Marner have a good playoff series in the past. So Marner yeah. in that first Boston series went nine points in seven games. 
I know Matthews was was pretty good in the second Boston series. I think he had five goals. Um, I, yeah, and, and he was probably the Leafs' best forward against Columbus. I mean, not saying a whole lot because there was not a lot of great forwards there, but Matthews, you know, was reasonable. Right. So I think when I look at Matthews, Marner, obviously we saw what Nylander could do in in this playoff series. And, you know, Tavares isn't going anywhere regardless of how he does in the playoffs with the full no move. So I, I think I'm I'm pretty convinced this core can have playoffs playoff success. I think Phil Kessel is another one. I know you mentioned this off the top, where a lot of there's a lot of players who weren't playoff performers until they were. I know everyone said Ovechkin couldn't win, and then he did. And then Kessel was really the big one, where as soon as he leaves the Leafs, he wins two cups. So I, I'm pretty convinced that Marner can go out and you know potentially lead the playoffs in scoring next year. Like I think that's he's fully capable of that. But I guess yeah. I guess the question is. You look at Marner's contract, 10.9 a season. If you're the general manager right now, where, what way are you leaning? Would you lean towards trading him or would you lean towards keeping him? So I will, I'll answer that question in just a second. There's something that you said that I, that I do want to kind of circle back to, um, which is that, yeah, I mean, absolutely, this, this core can win playoff series. What I think is also clear is that this core, because of how they're being paid, for, absolutely does force difficult decisions elsewhere in a way that other cores who provide the same level of on-ice ability don't. Right. Right, like you could think of the Hedman, uh, Point, Kucherov, Stamkos core in Tampa. Mm -hmm. Right, you can think of, um, I guess Colorado has like a core of seven people at this point because they're all fucking amazing. <laughs> um, and, you know, some of that is the Leafs' fault. Some of that is not. Right, some of that is, is timing. That Marner and Matthews were so good so fast that it was, they had much stronger cases for um, a great, hugely, you know, or hugely, you know, highly paying second contracts than someone like David Pasternak did, right? Um, and, and then part of it is also uh, unforeseen in that the Leafs signed kind of right before a, a flat cap influenced by a pandemic. So I, I guess it's to tie that point together. The Leafs core can win, but they, because of how they're paid, they force difficult decisions elsewhere. And I think this motivates your question of, you know, Marner's the one who probably forces the most difficult questions because he's the one who, you know, any, I think, realistic evaluation would point to him as the guy who's perhaps most overpaid uh, in that group of the three younger guys. You know, Tavares as a UFA was a different, different can of uh, worms altogether. With Marner, I, I, lean, I lean keep right now with the caveat that you absolutely explore trades. You absolutely, you know, talk about it and figure out what the market is. Um, and, and, you know, do a deep dive into that. Um, I think it's more likely that they end up keeping him. I think that it, it can be hard to win a trade with someone like Marner when you, when you give him up. Uh, and I don't think it's inherently dumb to trade him. Like, I, 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 think, I don't think, I, I, you know, people have some, said some, cyper, some hyperbolic stuff about Marner. It's like, oh, he's untradeable on that contract or, like, you're not getting anything for him on that deal. And I think that's ridiculous. Um, I think you absolutely can get something back from Marner. You can, you know, get something back that helps the team for Marner, whether it's via assets or via being able to um, restructure your team in a way that maybe makes it more resilient to injuries or more um, more flat in terms of talent distribution. Um, but currently, I, I do lean keep. Okay. I think in terms of the core, and I wrote an article uh, earlier this week saying, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around here. I think with the power play, we can certainly point fingers at the coaching staff, whether that be Sheldon Keefe or Manny Malhotra. 
uh, with the players, you know, at the end of the day, you need Matthews Marner producing more than they did. Um, but also at, at, at the general manager. I know, I think Dubas has done a pretty good job overall with this team. The, the Campbell trade was outstanding. You know, he's really rebuilt that defense with Muzzin and Brody, and, and they went years before Dubas was there in terms of rebuilding that defense successfully. Um, but if, if you looked at the at the core four, and then you said, okay, like the, the challenging part of Zach Hyman is, is either going to get a big raise or he's going to leave, and he's going to be tough to replace. But they did have some errors. Like, you, you see what Corey Perry's doing in Montreal right now. They, they had an, It sounded like they had an option to get Corey Perry instead of Wayne Simmons. That would have been a pretty big upgrade. And then, you know, maybe instead of Joe Thornton, you found someone else kind of under the radar that, that really made a difference in the bottom six. And then maybe, you know, instead of a Nick Foligno, I don't want to stress on this too much because I feel like I've talked about it every episode, but I do feel like Taylor Hall or, or even Kyle Palmieri would be better than Foligno, especially the injured Foligno. Um, not that you can hold the injury against them, but, you know, this is a team that struggled to score against Columbus, struggled to score against Montreal. If you add some more offense, and and I'll go back to that that first round game, Washington versus versus Boston, where I think Washington was about to go up in the series, and then Hall scores like a, a between the legs goal to tie it up, send it to overtime. Yeah, in game two, right? Like yeah, at, towards the end of game two. Yeah, Washington was up one zero in the series and had a lead. So if that happened, like Felino didn't do that here. If 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 Hall had scored, you know, an overtime winner, for example, or, you know, a timely goal at the right time, maybe this is a whole different series. So I, I do think that with this core, you know, Anderson's $5 million is coming off the books. You could probably, you know, come back with a similar team. And everything went wrong with the series where, you know, the Leafs outchanced them. Price plays amazing. Tavares gets hurt. I do think there's definitely a case that you can come back better than next better next year than you were this year and go on a run and, and win a cup. But I'm looking at Marner's contract and I think you made a good point with the pandemic where we thought this, we thought the cap was going to go up, you know, it seemed like it was going up 1.5 to 3 million every year. And with these long-term deals after a couple years, they start to look like, like much better contracts. At that time, you couldn't really anticipate the flat cap. Obviously I think Marner was a lot of money even from day one, but yeah. The thing I see with him is, so last offseason, let's say you traded Marner just for a bunch of first-round picks. I, I, I look at the offseason, and I think, okay, if I was the general manager, what would I have done? And I think that's a Foley trade, and this isn't just hindsight, was a steal from day one. I believe he makes 4.2 uh, over four years. Like, let's say it was even 4.5, you know, if you had to bid, outbid Montreal. I'm not expecting what Toffoli did this year, but maybe just, you know, Toffoli's average year. And then whether it's, maybe you go out and you get a, a Taylor Hall. Like that was $8 million for one year. It's probably less for, for a long-term deal. And then maybe to offset that, you, you, you know, you ditch a Makayev or something. Like I, I think there's better ways to spend $11 million. Um, Dougie Hamilton's potentially someone where if you did trade Marner, Without taking much money back, you could go out and, and make an offer for Dougie Hamilton this offseason if, if he hits the market. And and that's not even, like, I think Toffoli plus Hall is more valuable than Marner plus Pekaya, for example. And that's without the first-round picks. And I think Nick made a pretty good point on the last podcast, uh, actually referring to the Capitan trade, where you got some pretty good futures for him, and then you actually took that money and it helped you go get Brody. Like, 
I just think you have to, I know you're willing to explore it, but I'm actually at the point now where I'm also, I'm actually leaning towards trading him. If I, I don't think they will, like I would say 30% chance he gets moved. But if I was a general manager, I think I would lean that way just because of how his contract structure. I think that's definitely, you know, a very, very reasonable way to look at it. Um, I think I'm inherently, you know, quite risk averse when it comes to these sorts of things. So maybe I, I tend to lean more towards inaction than anything, which probably is, you know, a reason why I would not be very qualified to be a GM. Um, so w- to your point about the depth, and I think maybe this, this kind of strengthens your point about Marner, because of how limited the Leafs are with the money that they can spend on the depth, like to, in order to really get contributions, they really have to hit on a, a decent proportion of what they do, right? You're asking them to be, you know, quite clever and quite better than the average at getting value from 700k guys and they did that to some extent this year with you know Gauchenyuk and Spezza. Spezza was probably the best um you know best value in terms of the low contracts the best non-ELC value deal in the league in terms of how much he produced for versus how much he got paid um and it you know I, I think you can I can buy that the Leafs should be you know certainly much better than average um when it comes to being able to pick up those types of players but it's asking a lot to have them consistently get great deal after great deal after great deal for that little money, right? I think inherently you're going to end up cycling guys and some won't work and hopefully some will. And I think that strengthens your point about wanting to move Marner where, you know, that that's such a significant trade-off that you have to make, right? And I think it's become kind of, at a certain point in the hockey analytics community, there's this idea of just, it doesn't matter how much you pay stars, you can always get reasonable depth players for cheap, um, on free agency for, for bargains, right? Uh, and the way that talent is distributed in the NHL, there's a huge right tail where the best players are, you know, playing a different sport to the third and fourth liners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can interchange those third and fourth liners uh, and it, it's fine as long as you have the star players. And I don't think that's, you know, necessarily wrong, but it does certainly rely on your star players playing like star players, which the you know which Matthews and Marner did not this 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 series right when you have a team built essentially around four guys one of them gets hurt and then two of the remaining three don't perform it's it's rough and I think the Leafs their their depth honestly was better than I thought it would be in the playoff series right I think they actually re- got somewhat reasonable contributions from the depth now most of that was Jason Spezza um, but when you look at the depth, it's just not really a talented bunch. It's a bunch of guys who are, they're all NHLers. They all do one or two things well, but they have kind of glaring flaws that prevent them from going up any further, right? You have like Gao Chenyuk, who has high-end skill and processing ability, but he, he's terrible defensively. He really is. And Mikheyev and Engvall are like brothers, essentially. <laughs> they're fast and they're rangy, but it, it looks like they're playing with a pool cue. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think... If if you decide to trade Marner, I think the idea is to really change the allocation, change the cap allocation of this team, right? Make it more balanced, make it perhaps more resilient to injury. Um, bank on Matthews and Nylander being uh, a great combination that I'm very confident would work well together. And then Tavares being able to elevate um, an, another reasonable player, right? And, and then And then go from there. So... I, I, I can see that making sense, absolutely. And I, I certainly don't think you're alone or out on an island on wanting to trade Marner. I know, you know, Fuleman, our, my, my podcast 
co-host was kind of in the same boat as you. Whereas like he, it's not that Marner's bad. Marner's very good. It's just we might need to change how this team's structured, and he's the biggest bottleneck that prevents any of those changes. Yeah, I think with Marner, so I think as a general manager, if you're Kyle Dubas, I think you almost want to be risk averse because Marner's trading Marner could be a trade. If you mess that up, it's a trade that could get you fired. Like it's a, it's a trade th- that could follow you around for the rest of your NHL career, which in Dubas's case and knowing the NHL, Dubas is like under 40. He might be in the NHL for the, the next 40 years. Yeah. I'm sure he'll want to be. So you look at like what the Sabres got for Ryan O'Reilly, that they just completely botched it. And if that was the case with Marner, like, if you trade him for, say, you know, let's say they trade him for two prospects, like high-end prospects, and they just completely don't turn out, and we see it all the time. Like, I thought Casey Millstadt was going to be much better than he is. Alex Nylander, I thought, was going to be much better than he is. If, if you trade Marner for, you know, just prospects that don't work out or, or players that maybe aren't as good as you think, a.k.a. Tyson Berry, um, then all of a sudden this could be a trade that, that haunts you. And I also think that if you're Dubas, you know, I know they had the big media day. Like, I think with a player of Marner's caliber, you have to think, okay, if I don't get the deal I, I want or if I don't get the deal I'm looking for, I'm keeping him, at least for another year. Um, so I don't think – I think in press like in the press conferences, they have to say we're committed to Marner, we're committed to Marner. But I do think you have to at least explore it. So the big thing there is really the contract structure where Marner's making a $10.3 million cap hit and an actual salary once they pay his his signing bonus this this summer. He'll be at about $6.2 million. So if you're the non-cap teams that don't spend to the cap anyways, you don't care what his cap hit is per se, or you might even like a higher cap hit. Like if you're if you're Ottawa, Arizona, perhaps Columbus, Anaheim, Buffalo, he's got a ton of value. And as a general manager, like you're gonna save your owner quite a bit of money there. If you're getting a you know let's say Marner's a nine million dollar player, you're getting him for six point two a year in actual cash. You're saving your your owner almost three million there. You know if I told my boss I just saved the company three million, I I you know get a a pretty good brand of applause I think so. Uh, I could definitely see the value for those teams. I could definitely see them offering a haul. Like I, I, I certainly think you get a haul from one of those teams for Marner. I guess that's where I'm, I'm coming down to. Like I, I do think that he can get it done in the playoffs. I do think he cares. I think he's probably getting a little bit too much of the blame. Um, yeah, I agree I with that. Plenty of blame to go around, but at the same time, like he's not a shooting threat. I don't really see him being a shooting threat. Um, and it's kind of like. Like, if we look at William Nylander, I think we both are, are huge William Nylander fans. And at 6 point, what is he making? $6.96 million, he's he's good value. But if, if Nylander signed for, like, $9 million, I think we'd both be having different conversations about him a lot earlier. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is a bit tricky because there's not too many players in the league that are A, stars, and B, borderline overpaid, if not overpaid. Like, I think it's... It's Marner. I can't even think of one across the NHL right now. I know Drysaddle felt that way at first. Maybe Clayton Keller in in Arizona. I mean, uh, I know Taves has those like health issues now, which but like maybe someone like Taves, where it it was like you, the contract was very much a kind of a reward for all the stuff he had done. 
Yeah, I think Petriangelo would say the same thing. Like with that term, I, like he's not going to get traded, but like if, if if Vegas had a chance to trade him right now, and you know you get his best year, and then you, you kind of dish the rest of the term, something like that. Um, I, that's just the thing with Martin. Like I, I think you could spend ten point nine better in free agency if you can convince a big free agent to to get here, and then. You'd also get a ton of futures for him from a from a non cap team, whether it's Buffalo or the Sens. I if like the more and more I think about it, I think the more it makes sense to trade him. But it also seems like this front office isn't going down that path. Um, it, it it does seem like once they like the player, they're kind of sticking with him. And obviously, you know, Dubis was the one that gave him that contract, so he might even be higher on Marner than, than we are. So Right. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned this um I think either like in a in a round table on PPP or on the on the pod, but this I remember reading an interview with Eric Tolsky and, and he said, you know, one of the big issues that a team can face um when evaluating themselves is the fact that like just by nature they will tend to eva- they'll they'll tend to acquire players who they think are better than the rest of the league does, right? That's why you acquire, you acquire this player because you think they're good and you might think they're better than the rest of the league. Um, so then they look at the roster like, you know, that guy's good, that guy's good, that guy's good. All these guys are good. Why aren't we better? Um, and it, it's, it's essentially, you know, when you combine that with, you know, essentially some endowment effect from once you have the guy in your team and you see him and you get attached to them, uh, you know, you, you can really kind of lose, lose the center of how someone from the outside might view your team. And maybe that's happening with with um with Marner and with the Leafs specifically. Um so I think I think that's worth considering with with Marner. So I I'd like to get your de- get a bit more detail on this cuz you mentioned, you know, it's in particular he's valuable to teams uh who who know they're not going to be really up against the cap. Mm-hmm. Uh so it that does limit the market somewhat, right? To like maybe 10 teams. Right? 10 yeah. at most 15 teams. So, you know, it's it becomes you know, this, this is kind of like, it's like buying uh, fine art, you know, or selling fine art. There's a very finite amount of uh, buyers and sellers. There's, you know, a very particular, each kind of piece, I hate to refer to players as a piece in this case, but for the sake of the analogy, we'll go with it. Like each piece is very unique and very much in the eye of the beholder, right? So that means there's like a ton of variance in what you can get because it just takes one guy who loves Marner, right? Conversely, if, you know, these teams, for whatever reason, don't like Marner, then, well, suddenly maybe you've lost a third of your market, and now it's much, much harder to find a deal, right? So it's, it's like a really lumpy market. It's not, it's not you know, it's not like a, a financial market that's super liquid. I agree. I think the, what I see with Marner is that it's just such a big gap between the cap hit and the salary. So the cap hit mm-hmm. being 10.9 and the actual cash after the signing bonuses pay being 6.2, like that's almost I think it's over forty percent. So the fact that like if I, I there's different types of trades in the NHL. So I think one is just the challenge trade where it's okay, Subban for Weber or you know, I, I think it was Domi felt was it Domi for Galchenyuk? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. That was one of those deals that like hockey Twitter was like making fun of it as it was going <laughs> on. For um like saying, Oh, how the Habs give up Galchenyuk? I'm like are we sure that we're making fun of the Habs for this? Same with the Subban for Weber. I think we were wrong about, but yeah, I mean the Subban. The the thing is the the Gauchenyuk for Domi one. Like the analytics people, 
But the analytics, if you actually looked at them, were, were a lot more favorable to to the Domi side. Like it was there was there was actually reasons to be positive from the Habs perspective. The Subban Weber one, I think almost universally, myself included, thought, okay, there's no way this ends well for Montreal. And it's just Weber has aged absurdly well and Subban has fallen off a cliff. It's the exact opposite of what we thought would happen. Yeah, that was a weird one. Those are so those are challenge trades where it's just okay, yeah. player A for player B. And then I think there's other trades that are timeline trades where it's okay, we're buying, you're selling, you want players, we want picks. Yeah, this present has, wins versus future wins, basically. Right, the Felino trade, or, you know, they're going to walk anyways and we're not winning. And then I think this one would almost be a contract trade. It, it's kind of like the timeline trade. Like, I think I'd, I'd compare it to that Kapanen one where, okay, we can both agree he's a very good third-line winger or a low-end second-line winger. Um, we just, we don't want to spend the money on that player right now. You guys have a fit for this, or you guys have a need for this type of player right now. And, you know, you both kind of agree on what the player is, but he's just more valuable to one team than the other right now, based on need. And I think Marner kind of falls into that, where, okay, we can both agree that, you know, maybe he's an 80-point winger in, in the NHL on the average year with pretty good defense, but because I think he's, he's a, I think he's better than eighty points. Like I mean, he's been with he's Matthews consistent. though, so I don't know. Like that that's true. But like I, assuming he gets an average first line center to play with, mm-hmm. I I'd be surprised if he's not like a a, a ninety point pace. Okay, let's say ninety. Let's say we both yeah. agree. Like we're we're two GMs. We both agree mm-hmm. he's a ninety point forward. But because he's a ten point nine million 90.4 to me and he'd be a 10 uh, he'd be a 6.2 million uh million dollar 90.4 to you it's just worth more to you right so if we can agree that okay you know this is the price this is how good he is like a team like ottawa for sure should be offering a haul for marner because you know 6.2 for four years in terms of actual money like he's, he's a over a point per game player that's a complete steal Whereas yeah. I think with the Leafs, it's like, okay, they can probably spend this money just as good elsewhere if, they, if they're fairly smart with their money. And then they're going to get a haul from Ottawa. Like, I would I would have to assume, like, Jake Sanderson, the fifth overall pick, would would be offered in a Marner trade. I would have to assume, like, a, like Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, they have plenty of players. I think it's probably a package for a player of Marner's caliber, but... That's, I guess, where I see the the potential for a deal. Um, yeah, but the, the key is the other team has to be basically 100% sure that they don't care about the wasted cap space there, right? That they only really care about the cash, that the cap space is essentially no problem to them. But I also think it's kind of telling that we're thinking, okay, Colorado's probably not going to have much interest in Marner at 10.9 or, or not be willing to give us that much for it. And then, or, or even a team like, I don't know, Vegas or, you know, Boston, pick a contender, you know, they, they might not be willing to give up for much for, for Marner at 10.9. I think that's kind of telling from the Leafs perspective where, okay, if Marner wasn't a Leaf and say he's on Arizona and you had a chance to trade for him for 10.9, I don't think I'd be wanting to go after, you know, I, I don't think I'd be sending a Nick Robertson and, and a Mirov and, you know, every young, every first round pick we have for Marner, I think I'd rather just spend the money in free agency and keep the, keep the young talent. So I guess that's where I'm kind of 
torn. Obviously, what kind of deal you get to what kind of package you get is going to really make the decision. But I actually think that if they traded Marner, I'd expect them to win the trade. Whereas I think some people think that because he didn't get the job done in the playoffs that he's got no trade value now. I think if they trade him, I expect them to win the deal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to tell what, whether that whether the the poor playoff performance is going to really impact the the return. I guess one thing I'm thinking of, and you addressed this to some extent earlier. Um, my sense is that you don't think there's anything inherent in Marner's game that will make him worse than he normally is in the playoffs compared to the regular season, do you? For the most part, no. I could see a little bit where he doesn't really have much cheating talent, and I I, I feel like after the last couple of years, I don't know if it's just the, the, the rosters the Leafs have put out there, but... I, I feel like the shooting talent helps. And also, in terms of this power play, I'm looking at the top power plays, and they have very good shooters. And, you know, after after this year and just how bad the power play was the last couple of years, um, come playoff time, it, I almost feel like you almost want to make a change, and it's it's kind of tough to, to change all that much if Marner's there. I don't know. I, I, I For the most part, I think he's he's going to translate to the playoffs fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in a similar spot to you. I, the only thing I can think of is that there's, there's a lot of talk about how the game changes when it gets to the playoffs, and I think when most people talk about that, they mean that the game gets rougher physically, that it's tougher to get to the net, that it's, um, you know, grittier, and that's when you need those sorts of uh, kind of nasty players who just kind of score in tight. And don't score pretty goals, but score a lot of them. Um, and, you know, we can debate to what extent that is true. I, I, I don't... I think there's a lot of talk about how Marner was, like, shying away from the physicality. And I think that is almost entirely an eye testing that I don't really buy. Like, Marner always shies away from physicality because that's not his bread and butter. That's not how he plays the game. I, I'm, not, I'm not annoyed if Marner, like, dodges a hit or, like, goes in second to a, for a puck battle to try and take the puck after because that's what he's been doing his entire career, right? Um, he's operated around his lack of physicality for a long time. I don't know if that gets particularly worse in the playoffs. What I do think is a change that happens in the playoffs that people don't discuss as much is that um, weaknesses get exploited more. And I think that's especially true on special teams um, and uh, like on, on the power play specifically. So when you have someone like Marner who isn't a shot threat, I think teams are more willing to kind of construct, play in a way that exacerbates that weakness, right? Or, or challenges that weakness in particular. I think so, for sure this year, for sure. Yeah. With Matthews being the only shooting threat. Right. And I think we've seen really, really great, you know, mind-bendingly great power plays that are run around Mitch Marner. The thing is they had shooting threats everywhere else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, thinking about that uh, JVR, Kadri, Marner pairing with, you know, featuring Tyler Bozak just <laughs> chilling in the corner. Um, that was a, a really, really deadly weapon because essentially there, there were multiple threats, right? Marner could go low to JVR, who is one of the best net front guys in the league. Um, Kadri was in uh, was was always kind of diving towards the net as the high tip option. The hand in this worked out really really well, because JVR uh, is a left shot I believe. 
So yep. his, his, his forehand was, uh, when Marner was set up on the right side, his forehand allowed him to also pass to Kadri uh, and also, you know, aim for the far side of the net on like wraparounds and jam plays. Uh, Kadri was able to tip pucks on his forehand, even though there wasn't a, a one-time option there. So, yeah, like we, we've seen it work before, but I think it does have to be a little bit tailored to, to, to Marner. And one, I think one difference between Nylander and Marner, I know people get annoyed when the two are compared because it doesn't have to be a competition, but they, they are kind of similar players in archetype of being, you know, primarily offensive wingers. Uh, one of the big differences between them is that when I think Marner is um, a better complementary player, generally speaking, I think Nylander is a more complete offensive player and that he doesn't have any one glaring weakness offensively the way Marner does with his shot. Right, I would agree with that. I think with Marner too, like he did create the best Leafs chance of Game Seven, and I do think he is a little bit reliant on his teammate's shooting percentage. So I think when when Matthews goes in a shooting percentage slump, you know, I know I know Matthews is getting a little bit of heat because of of his series, but I feel like Matthews people don't want to criticize Matthews as much because. A, he's he's the better player, and B, he's kind of like the the face of the franchise. We know he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, if you are going to change something, maybe it is it is probably Marner of the big four. Um, I know some people the saw my mentions today still think it's Nylander, but I mean, just the the, the difference in contracts of four million. I'm I'm taking Will Nylander over Marner any day right about now. Yeah, I mean, I think Marner is a better player, but he's not four million dollars better. Right, and and I, th- and I think that's basically where the conversation starts and ends. Right. And to me, like, I'm still looking and thinking, okay, if I could get a good $7 million player, which is what Nylander is, and, you know, last offseason it could have been Taylor Hall, I'm sure there'll be someone that comes up eventually, or even if you maybe make the offer for Dougie Hamilton and kind of, you know, shift some, some, some money around, obviously that probably has some ripple effects, but, you know, a seven, an extra $7 million player and then you have an extra four million, you know, if you move Marner out, and you know that could that could upgrade a Makayev to like a, a a five million dollar player. You could upgrade Kerfoot to like a seven another seven million dollar player. I just think the team looks deeper and looks stronger, which I think we've seen in the past with these Leafs teams is that they're they're pretty good on paper, but once there's an injury or a suspension in Kadri's case, the lineup gets kind of weak in in a, in a hurry. So I think a if they are going to run this core back, like if you were telling, if you came from in a time machine from, from next year and you told me, okay, the Leafs won the cup, all went well, I would think, okay, what had to happen? The core scored more. They were healthy. They had maybe a little bit more depth. They had, you know, the defense was just as good. Campbell was just as good. I could certainly see the roadmap, but it's, I guess it's frustrating because of all the losses. And then it's just, okay. Like, I guess the other thing would be, like, last offseason went to fully signed. I thought it was a steal right off the bat. I think Craig Smith was one where you thought it was a steal right off the bat. But the Leafs couldn't even really be in on those players because they didn't have any sort of extra money to spend. And it, it seems like if they did have, if they did move Marner, I guess the other argument would just be, you know, if there is a free agent this offseason that looks like they're going to get, you know, you could get them for a steal, at least you'd have an opportunity to do so. Whereas right now it would be, very difficult to kind of make the money work. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the biggest impediment Marner provides is just it's a lack of flexibility. We're, we're committed to this team and everything else. You know, it, 
we ha if you view the salary cap as as a bucket, we've filled this bucket with a few really, really large rocks, and now there's only room for pebbles. Right. So, you know, if, if you take out a rock, you can start to, you know, increase the size of some of the other pebbles and get more of those. And maybe that's a direction that we think is useful to go in. So if I'm if I'm Dubis, I think Marner has to be the first decision of the offseason because that's going to change basically your whole game plan, right? Like, if you trade Marner for draft picks, for example, not that I think that's likely, but let's say you trade Marner for, for guys that don't make all that much money, you kind of need to know how much money you have going into free agency, right? Like, yeah. it, it's, it's tough to trade him the day before the season starts. Yeah, and interestingly... Uh, um, this is one of the years where if you, like, because of the signing bonus thing that you mentioned, well, not one of years, this might be the only year, where um, the Leafs could, you know, pay the signing bonus, then trade him for draft picks in the current year, in the 2021 draft. Right. Because not of that the it's timing a... of when the draft is. Normally, that's not possible. Right. Now, I don't think, because of the strength of the draft and just the facts where they are at their contention window, it's probably not what happens. Like, I think mm -hmm. if he Agreed. gets traded, what I'd want as I, I know we agree on this, but the Leafs are really built on having two first lines where you have, you know, two dominant duos, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, at least in theory, that's what you're going for. And if they do trade Marner, I kind of want to have, another star forward back, maybe in the $7 million range. I don't know if you go out and get a Connor Garland. I don't know if you go out and get, you know, uh, Maggio Pani's probably not good enough. Sam Reinhart? Yes. Sam Reinhart. Yep, that's, that'd be one for sure. I think Taylor Hall's staying in Boston, but I'd put him in the conversation if he became available. Um, I, I think the Eichel one is kind of obvious. And the fact that Eichel, like, for me, I'm not too concerned about you know, having four people make up so much of the of the cap hit. If if Marner was like a fifteen million dollar player playing for eleven million, I would not complain about that at all. Um, like for example, if you switched Marner with McDavid, we're not having the conversation about you know having four people make this much. But to me, I I, I just don't know if he's the ten point nine, and he kind of did it to himself with the contract negotiation, but. Boy, like I, I just wonder what this team could do, and if they do trade Marner, I'd want that. I'd want another first line caliber winger, maybe someone like Nylander, for example, to kind of fill in on a, on a cheaper contract. Yeah, I mean, I I I agree with that. Um, it's it's just a question of you know what can you what can you get, right? Um, the other I guess right. the other thing is. If, let's say you trade Marner for not that much back. Maybe do you consider re-signing Zach Hyman? Which is a good segue, because that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. So, yeah, I think that makes, like, uh, that's a good explanation for why Marner's the first domino here. If you're keeping him, you know how much money you have for the most part. If you're trading him, all of a sudden you have more money. So I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast, and they had Chris Johnson on from Sportsnet, and... He was thinking that if Hyman goes elsewhere, I think he, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't want to misquote him, but the sense I was getting that it was going to be, you know, 5.5 AAV, maybe even up to 6 AAV. He might give the Leafs, you know, a slight discount. You never know. It's kind of tough to tell. Not that he's obligated to, and obviously he was on a very team-friendly team contract earlier, but 
is 5.5 to 6 with, let's say, six years term, is that too rich for your blood? Or are you still committed to Zach Hyman at that point? It's too rich for me. And, I mean, I say that knowing that we are a worse team without Zach Hyman because, you know, Hyman is, is genuinely a very, very good NHL player. And it, it, it's, you know, this maybe one of the small joys we can take from this year, but it's been cool to see his progression because I remember, you know, in the rookie year uh, in 16-17, or not everyone, but certainly a lot of people were like, what is this bum doing who's staple to Austin Matthews win? <laughs> this guy can't do anything with the puck. Um, and I, I would say, you know, the improvement in his puck skill specifically has been really remarkable. Because he, he, he's not, you know, he doesn't have, you know, Rob Schrempf's hands or anything like that. But... He, he's turned it from a glaring weakness to uh, something that is, you know, ex- approaching acceptability. And because the rest of his game, you know, his motor specifically, his uh, puck pursuit, his diligence, uh, because all of that is so high-end, it's made him into a legitimately very, very strong uh, top six and borderline top-line player. At the same time, he's 29, plays a brutal style. He himself hasn't, very, hasn't really been that good in the playoffs the last two years, and He's, you know, skated by without much criticism, I think justifiably, given his role on the team relative to the other star forwards. Um, but, you know, when you're paying him five and a half, six million over uh, a term where he is almost certainly going to decline substantially, uh, I think that becomes, you know, you're, it's not a, a painless loss uh, to, to let him go, but I think that ultimately becomes the right move. Yeah, I think 5.5 or more is too rich for me. As much as I love him, I think he's got the highest approval rating in Toronto. And and obviously, when he was playing on a $2.25 million AAV, I can definitely see why he had a high approval rating. You know, 33 points in 43 games this year is, is, is very strong offensive production, especially for a guy that's not always on the top power play. Uh, you know, most of his offense comes from 5-on-5, five five, which is, you know, more valuable, I would say. Um, and then... I was kind of like I was just pulling up his hockey DB as you were talking there, and yeah, I was a little bit surprised at the lack of playoff production. So he only had one one point in seven games in, in this year's series against Montreal. It was a goal, and then actually against Boston that last series against Boston, I know he was hurt, but he only had one goal in seven games. You know, he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire. Like as in the playoffs career, he's got thirty two games, thirteen points, which is a pretty big drop off. So. Yeah, I, I just don't think at his age, uh, he's 28 right now. He's, he's about to turn 29, I believe. I believe it's this week, actually. And then, you know, signing him for five, six years into his mid-30s when he's not really a finesse player, um, you know, he's, he's really dependent on his speed and strength, which I would think would drop off. Even five million, I think, is a bit risky. Depending on the term, I I might be open to it at five. Are you? If it's at five, are you at least? Are you interested at five? Or you still think that's way you too? You know rich? what? I would be more interested. You know, to go back to v- the very first thing we said, if we're as good as Colorado, yeah, I'm interested. Okay. But we're not. So then it's like, okay, you know, with Hyman, we're still probably a step below those guys. So what's the, what's the, how good is the, fu- is, the, is the kind of immediate future that we're, that we're prioritizing at the expense of two to three years down the road? 
right? Can we do something that is is better? Because you know he he he's not elevating us to be a true contender in all likelihood, at least based on what we are right now. And then the back end of that deal is going to be brutal. So then what's the what's the reward for the for the punishment we're going to take on the back end? Yeah, I think at some point here we're going to have to see some tough decisions because at the start of the rebuild, you have all this money. And obviously, the Tavares contract made sense at the time for me. Like, $11 million, I Yes, it might not be great at the end, but you have a substantial window of Matthews and Marner and, and Nylander's prime here to take a serious run. And I know they kind of handed out Marner a big contract, and it was like, okay, you know, you're a contender. This could make sense. But... At some point, you know, what the league is, it's how how do you use $81.5 million in the best way possible? You know, unless you're Tampa and you kind of cheat the system, but everyone else is kind of operating under the same budget yeah, and aside from those even, non-cap Even teams. with Tampa, it's like very serendipitous in a, in a perverse way, right? Because, I, I mean, I, yeah. I do believe Kucherov, he did have a legit injury. I don't think, for example, the Leafs could say, you know, Marner has bonitis for 82 right. games next year. Like, there, there was a legit injury at the start of that, right? However, you want, whether, you know, someone wants to argue that, they've, that they milked it, um, you know, I, I personally think Kucherov didn't actually really look like himself except on the power play for the first half of that series against Florida. So I, I could buy that he was still actually working his way back into full health, but that could also just be, you know, working his way into game shape. Um, but regardless, yeah, like, that's... That's not a, you know, you, you, you can't take a, a Lou bar to one of these guys' kneecaps and say, okay, well, here's our new plan to work with a $91.5 million cap. Yeah, I think, I guess, I don't, I, I Kucherov's injury is legitimate. I guess it's just a fault of the system. Yeah, and but... I mean, this was a known thing, right? Like the, the Blackhawks did it with Patrick Kane yep. all those years ago. Yep. So I think for the most part, everyone's, it's, it's how do you spend 81.5 the best. And when you're Colorado and you have McKinnon's contract and Landis Cog up until this offseason and Rantanen, you look at Tampa, they stole Braden Point. They just seem to have guys on outstanding contracts. And the Leafs don't have that. So, you know, the Leafs really would have to make up for, you know, the extra amounts that they're paying their top players by really cheap depth. And they'd have to do a really good job at, at getting that depth. Now, Spezza... Galchenyuk, as you mentioned earlier, were great signings. I think Spets is a bit of a gift to the Leafs because he's for sure. He's probably a three million dollar player. I think the first off season they got him, I give Dubis credit because you know Babcock wasn't playing him. For example, it was kind of a controversial signing, a little bit, but like now it's just kind of a no brainer where it's it's almost a gift. Yeah, because he's older. Yeah, I mean Spets yeah, and Spezza straight up said that, yeah, I'm not playing for any team besides Toronto. Right. So, yeah, you know, it's, we, we talk about, oh, it's unfair, uh, you know, Florida and Tampa have the, the tax advantages and all that stuff. I mean, there, there's pros to being in Toronto as well. Right. And I think, so I guess that's one thing is, you know, we might only have one more year of Spezza. Like, we saw it with Marlowe yeah. where he just tr- dropped off suddenly. Yeah, and you, you can't expect him to be as good next year as he was this year. I mean, I said that last year, too, right? That yeah. We couldn't expect him to be as good this year as he was the year previous, and he, he was better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he was, you know, at, at, at that age, at any point, it can just kind of disappear. You can kind of fall below the precipice where you just can't keep up with the game anymore. Um, 
And yeah, that's just, that's the way it is. He's also, you know, he was riding an absurd hot, uh, hot streak in terms of, you know, just pucks going in when he's on the ice. And that's probably not going to continue forever. So, you know, we should treat anything that we get from Spezza as, as a bonus. Yeah, and just looking at their, their books, like, as you mentioned, Tavares is now 30. He's got four years left. By the end of that contract, maybe it doesn't look great. And then Muzzin's 32. He's got three years left. Brody's 30. He's got three years left. Like, there's definitely some some possibilities in terms of who drops off. Um, so it's just like, okay, how many times can you hand out more money than the player? Like, how many times with Hyman can you can you go to Hyman and say, okay, we're, we're fine to overpay a little bit to keep him? Like, you can't overpay with everyone, and you can't have these, you know, declining deals with everyone. I think... I guess I want to get your thoughts. Do you think he'll be back? Not what would you do, no. but do you think he'll be back? No, I don't think he'll be back. Okay. But that that's that's because I don't think Marner is going to be traded, and I, I just don't see a way for it to work in any sensible manner if you don't both don't trade Marner and then re-sign Hyman for what he's going to command. Okay. And I guess the other one would be Morgan Riley. I know there's always some, some people rolling their eyes when I mention Morgan Riley. He was great or maybe not great, but I thought he was very good in the Montreal series. Really, with him, he's got one more year left at $5 million. I think we've mentioned off the top that I don't know if we were kind of a bit scared of his next contract. I think we've said that plenty of times before. Um, mm-hmm. Do you at least look into moving him this offseason? I think if I'm Dubas, I kind of actively shop him, actually. That's probably the one move I do make. And part of that is also... I think this is kind of selling high on Riley, and it does pay me to say that because Riley is probably the Leafs player who I like the most personally. Mm-hmm. Um, just seems to be, by all accounts, a stand-up person, uh, good in the community, good in the room. Been here for some of the really, really dark shit in the Carlisle uh, era and was kind of a beacon of hope in that time. So I, I really do like Riley. As you alluded to, I don't think his next contract is going to be good for the team. Uh, for whatever team that signs. That's simply because, you know, Riley's a... I think he's a, a, an above-average defenseman in the exact type of package that gets defensemen paid a lot more than they're worth. Because he puts up points and he plays a lot of time on ice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he, he finally got a good partner in Brody. Until now, uh, there was always the, the talk of, you know, where I think a lot of GMs and people in the league thought, Riley's amazing, he just has no help. Right? Um... And I, I do think Riley is a legitimately talented player, but I, I don't think it's insane to get like 85% of his production, not in terms of offensive production, but in overall production out of someone like Rasmus Sandin. And then, you know, in doing so, you save a lot of money. Yeah, I think with where I'm at with Riley is we're, we're basically where you are, where he's... His next contract is going to be scary because you're, you're going to be paying him into his 30s. He's going to get, I would think, at least what Tory Crew got. I would expect Riley to be like a $7 million plus defenseman. And mm-hmm. because of his defensive shortcomings, because of the ice time and the point totals, I, I expect him to get a big deal that I don't want to sign. And because of that, if you don't want to let him walk for nothing, ideally. Now, the Leafs are good enough. They're a top 10 team, I would say, still, that... You know, maybe they could make him a self-rental and justify that. But he's the type of player that you would think you could get a haul for. And you'd also free up $5 million, which 
you know, you could make a run at Doug, Dougie Hamilton, and, and, you know, obviously that's going to be more money. But I would rather go that route or even use that $5 million to try to add just a little bit more forward depth. Uh, you are going to have to kind of off, you're going to have to replace Hyman as best you can. It's probably going to take some money. Um, like, even as a Blake Coleman type, like trading Riley would, would maybe free up something for that. He could get you a player on an entry level contract that you could plug into your lineup. I, I think we're kind of on the same page there. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it's worth st- you'd get some pretty useful futures, right? And mm-hmm. you can use those futures maybe at the deadline if you want. You can just take them, right, uh, depending on, on what they are. You know, if you, if, you, if you really trust your amateur scouting team, you can identify a prospect that you think is maybe better than the team who has the rights to that prospect. Yep, and I guess, like, we're, the next thing I wanted to ask is about the expansion draft, but... Like, with Riley, I think where the Leafs are at, they could just, like, they don't have to trade him before the expansion draft. I don't think they're losing a star in the way, you know, some, the last expansion draft, you saw teams like Minnesota with four really good defensemen. They were in some big problems. I don't think the Leafs have massive problems here that from that perspective. So they could, you know, wait after the expansion draft, shop them. And like Marner, it is kind of that situation where, if you if you get a great deal, you think you do it, and if you if you don't get the right deal, you could just keep him. But I think as we alluded to, he is the type of player who's who should get a haul in a trade, and it, it just seems like his his actual value in a trade is is higher than maybe what he's worth. Even though he's a good player, even though I I really like him, it, it it's just I think that's one you have to actively actively shop. So I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, no, I, I I agree completely with that. It's just, yeah, there, there's, you know, potentially an opportunity. If if we keep Marner, there's really no room for kind of any sort of fat elsewhere. You have to be really, really lean elsewhere. And I think part of it is, I think this, you know, goes for you as well. I, I am relatively high on Sandine. Um, I, I think, I think we're seeing that, you know, it's not a death sentence to trust young defensemen. Right. Right. And yeah, it's inherently a little bit risky because we don't know with certainty that uh, Rasmus Sandin can play, you know, not just top four minutes, but top minutes, which is what Riley was doing. And he, you know, that he probably wouldn't have to do that originally. We'd probably promote, promote Muzzin. Um, But I think it's a reasonable bet. Right, that that Sandin can handle that, or some combination of Sandin and Dermot, if he's still on on the team, can do that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot because there's no there's no foolproof option where the Leafs are. Right, there's no easy guaranteed. Okay, this is free money option. I I, I don't think. Um, so every single choice that they make is going to have trade offs and a possibility to go wrong. But I think just of the options, this is the kind of best balance of possible upside and. Uh, downside yeah I think like when you look at the top at how much the top players make Matthews Tavares Barner Nylander what this team really needs is those either entry-level contracts or the Galchenyuk Spezza contracts where you can kind of offset that by having some steals and typically the easiest way to do that's through the entry-level contracts rather than just stealing guys in free agency yeah and, I think the Islanders are getting great play from Adam Pettick for 1.6 mil yeah, and I right. think of Carter Verhage, for example, like that was free agency. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like if you do move Riley, that's really one way to get good players on an entry level contract, or at least one good player on an entry level contract. 
Same with, obviously, Marner would be a bigger trade. You could probably get multiple pieces there. Um, But with any Leafs trade right now, I think I'm looking for someone who makes a lot less than the value they provide on the ice. I think that's kind of, you know, standard in any trade, but especially on this Leafs team with the pressures they have to get under the cap and to kind of patch some holes on this roster. Yeah, so on on the Marner thing, how do you think about the fit with L.A.? Where they, they could say, see him as like, maybe this is the guy who we pair with Quentin Byfield for the next decade. The only thing with L.A. is I think that they're definitely a cap team, right? Like, they have tons of money. And I don't know if uh, at 10.9, when they already have, like, a guy like Doughty, they already have, you know, quick for a couple more years. Oh, God, I, I always I, I keep forgetting that they still have that those two contracts. Kopitar's is aging much better than I thought it would, but that has a disaster potential, too. Yeah, so I think... I think even the, the cap teams would have some interest in Marner. I just think that the value is really going to be on the non-cap teams. So I'm thinking like, okay, Buffalo's got Reinhardt. They got Dylan Cousins. Obviously, Eichel would be the big one. I would do that in a second if if, if you could give me reasonable confidence on Eichel's health. Um, Arizona has Jacob Chikrin, Connor Garland. They got you know Nick Schmaltz uh, if, they, if they retained a bit. I've, I'm a big fan of Schmaltz, although he makes too much. Uh, they could throw in like a guy like Kemper. They could throw in, you know, I don't know, Hayton or, or some prospects. Um, I would say Ottawa has just a ton of, of different pieces where they have. Bernard- that would be spicy. I, 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 but you know what? Like they always take leaves. <laughs> no, but I, they always take leaves. Yes, but and you know the the fun of trade, for example, was like a big player but this this would be kind of a different level i think of like a star in their prime going from one to another the other thing is i feel like ottawa right now is in a rare moment where their fans are like kind of happy with the uh with the front office right they've had that hasn't been the case much over the past little bit and their fans are they're in the honeymoon phase of we have all these cool young prospects hey they look we're a bad team but they did something cool and we're enjoying that even though you know we're not great overall and then, you know, I think there's a natural hesitancy to push up that timeline and say, oh, no, we're, we're actually going to try and start playing meaningful hockey now. I disagree. Um, and I think... So you think they would be... You think, like, Ottawa's front office would be willing to go for it and not just kind of trust their, their young guys? I think they're going to be too attached to them, realistically. That's my issue. I feel like they'd, they'd want to give us, like, Nick Paul as the centerpiece. <laughs> So I, I think with them, like I think Ottawa and Buffalo are going to have some issues attracting free agents. And especially, you know, you're not getting Marner for better than $6.2 million. Um, And I, I just think that, I don't know if it's the DJ Smith factor, the fact that they always go after Leafs. Zaitsev was the big one. Panuf, as you mentioned, was the big one. It just feels like I think they would jump at the chance for Marner. I feel like they're going to overrate how close they are, um, and and they have, they just have so many different pieces to offer. Whether it's so Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, Drake Batherson, I would go right? the other guy you yeah Sanderson, Bernard Docker, Eric Brandstrom. You know, I'm sure they have picks. Presumably Stutzla is like completely off the table. I don't think they're moving him. Yeah, I would say Stutzla could chuck. Probably wouldn't, but I do think that you know Marner at six point two million. I think they, I think they jump at, and I think they give you a good haul. So 
I would be focused on those teams. I just think the better offer is going to go there. You know, Columbus, if you really like Oliver Bjorkstrand, for example, maybe you go down that route. Um, right, and Col- Columbus might be facing another kind of exodus of, like Seth Jones reportedly doesn't want to stay there. Um, who knows if that'll be the case for, like, Zach Waretsky. So, like, trading is really their only option. Yeah, I think Buffalo, Columbus, and Ottawa, you know, they might not be able to get that $11 million free agent. So maybe Marner's their best bet. So I do think maybe you get a team to overpay that way. Um, another question off topic, I guess a pretty a pretty hard turn here. I, just in terms of the expansion draft, I was listening, as I mentioned, the Steve Dangle podcast and, and, report, and uh, not reporter Chris, that's his Twitter handle, but Chris Johnston. Um, in, in terms of the expansion draft, it seems like, you know, barring a, a, a trade that would kind of change the picture, it sounds like they either protect four defensemen and expose Kerfoot, or they protect three defensemen, Muzz and Riley Brody, and expose Justin Hall. Any preference? They both have two years left. Kerfoot at three point five million, Justin Hall at two million. Do you have a strong preference on who they protect there versus who they lose, or is it pretty even for you? It's pretty even. I mean, it's it's a kind of it's like one of those. Uh... It'd be perfect for like a hockey Twitter poll. Like, who do you value more, your third line center or your uh, fourth best defenseman? Right? right. It's like it's kind of similar levels of where they are on the roster. Where like they're not, you know, you should be able to survive without them. But you know, they're they're going to play at least somewhat important minutes. Um, I, I guess I've always liked Kerfoot a bit more, and I recognize that his play this year at various points was like really, really mediocre. Um, he really is, you know, does, I, I kind of recoiled against this idea at first, but he really is a player who looks a lot more comfortable being the third best player on the line than being, um, you know, someone who's counted on to, to drive that line, which is a problem when you're a third line center, um, because you're not going to be getting great line mates most of the time, especially not on the Leafs. Um, so, you know, that, that's a bit of a problem, but I, I do, I do like him and I think he has some versatility, so... I would lean Kerfoot, but no strong preference. I would lean protecting Justin Hall just because he only makes $2 million. I feel like that's pretty good value for someone who can hold the top four role. I don't <laughs> really want Lilligren in there that fast. I'll, I'm going to ask you about Bogosian in a minute, but I prefer him not in the top four. Yeah, and, for sure. And, you know, with Kerfoot, I think he's a good player, but I think... You know, if he does leave and you, you free up $3.5 million of cap space, you know, maybe you go out and get a Mikel Granlund to fill that gap or an Alex Wenberg to fill that gap. And I don't know if you really fall off that much. I guess the other option would be, you know, maybe maybe you think about, if you're going to protect Justin Hall, maybe you kind of think about trading Kerfoot uh, ahead of time and then you end up, you know, you get a pick or something for Kerfoot and then you end up, you know, losing a Dermot or, or losing an Engvall. We, we definitely saw some some situations go wrong with the last expansion draft, you know, Shea Theodore and, and things like that. But um, I, I guess I don't have a huge preference either way. I'm just kind of leaning towards Justin Hall because I guess Kerfoot would free up more money. And I kind of, relative to the contract, I, I guess I prefer Hall. But it's a yeah, close one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like the, I mean, again, this is kind of hammering home the point we're making about about marner uh and the hamstringing that does to the rest of the cap but like yeah it, it you know 3.5 we look at that for a, a average third line center probably and we're like oh man that's 
that, that's that, that's pricey and it's like it it shouldn't be right that's like a no, that's what a normal depth player who's like just a comfortable nhl normally makes it is it's like the most normal contract like 3.5 for a third line center and i think he is a third line center like he can play the wing he's a fine winger as well he's he's, he's i think pretty much worth the 3.5 um I, I gotta ask you about a couple other guys here, just in terms mm-hmm. of would you bring them back for let's say a similar contract to what they had this year. The first one, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, was Zach Bogosian. He made one million dollars this year. I think he outperformed expectations. If he wants one to maybe even one point five million, are you bringing him back? I really want to stick him to the lower end of that uh, range. Like I, w- I would offer him basically the same contract again and hope he says yes. Like I, I really. Don't want to have to go higher than that, but um, he he was good. He was good uh, for for his role. Uh, you know, I think he was used appropriately. Uh, he's a fifth slash sixth defenseman. He he can survive in those roles. I'd be happy to have him back. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if we're gonna play the the Euro depth market again, um, and find another guy to cycle in for three games and ship him off to I don't know somewhere Arizona maybe this time. Uh, but, you know, he, he, Bogosian is good to have as kind of a safety valve um, back there on, on, your, on your lower pairings where you can kind of rotate him and other guys. And, you know, in, in a training camp battle, if someone really wows you, if Liljegren really wows you, you can say, okay, I don't mind benching Bogosian. Um, but if he doesn't, and, or, you know, someone gets injured, like Liljegren gets injured or something, or, or your other depth options kind of go up and smoke, uh, he's useful to have there. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, although I'd really have a strong preference to keep him you know on the low end of that range that you mentioned yeah i think you definitely have to bargain for every penny if you're the leafs at this point just because of what Mm -hmm. they've done on elsewhere but i think i'd I'd take him back whether it's one i'd I'd probably do 1.5 after that i'm getting a little bit iffy just because they need every penny they can get obviously the lower the better um i I do think that lilligren could probably play NHL minutes, but I do think that they have to prioritize what's best for the Leafs rather than what's best for Lilligren. Um, he's not waivers eligible next year. You could just, you know, he does make good depth if he's in the minors, um, just because you could call him up at any time. And then if he does really look strong, you could potentially, depending on what you do elsewhere, you could potentially move Brody to the left side if, if you know, Bogos is playing very well, Lilligren's playing very well. That's just such a good problem to have. So, yeah, I think he was... I think he outperformed expectations. If he doesn't want a big raise, I'd, I'd bring him back. I think we're, we're somewhat aligned there. Um, the other one was Alex Galchenyuk. He made $1 million this year. Would you sign him for, if you wanted $1 million again, would you do it? For $1 million, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 think he can, I think he can stick on uh, a scoring line. I think he, can, he, can, he knows how to play with uh, better line mates, which sounds like a you know, damning with faint praise, but as we saw with Jimmy Vesey. Not everyone does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like there, there are, there are real issues there. I, I mean, you, you know, we, we, we kind of made the point earlier where, uh, you know, the playoffs weaknesses get exacerbated, and Gauchenyuk is absolutely a player with significant weaknesses, right, uh, in his in his defensive game. But for one million, you're not getting perfect players, and again, that's that's what we boxed ourselves into needing to afford. So I don't see a better option uh, than him, and I also think he will kind of want to have... I can see it making sense for him, where he... he you know, you can say you're going to be playing most likely with John Tavares and William Nylander, you know, through fr- from training camp onwards, assuming you play well. 
and this is an opportunity for you to put up 35, 40 points and get yourself a nice contract, uh, most likely somewhere else, but like to really rebuild your value. Yeah, I want him back as well. I just think he's he's good value uh, at that cap hit. Uh, he's also someone I can see wanting the stability. Obviously, he's he's moved quite a bit over the years. Uh, he's true. kind of he's also made a decent amount in his career. I think he's over twenty million in, in career earnings. So you know, I don't know if you know if he get one point five elsewhere and he can get one with the Leafs. I think he might take the Leafs offer, especially if the opportunities there. So I, I really like that one. I hope he's back. I assume they'd sign it after the expansion draft. Um, there's a couple others. Let's go with, I'm going to group these two together, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons. Wayne Simmons made 1.5. I'm going to guess you're not going to give him that. It may be, I'm just curious, would you take Simmons for close to league minimum and then Thornton the same thing? Uh, league minimum, I think there's there's kind of very little risk actually well that's not true because this is the point you raised you know really early on actually even as far back as training camp you, you you kind of pointed out the exact situation that we'd end up in where if their play merited being scratched it's very hard to scratch them right and the same is true of Spezza but his play never merited it um so you know for for league men for a team like the Leafs you, you know you can bury that there's there's the only value it costs is, is cash. And it's like, I, I don't care about Rogers and Bell's, you know, cash flow. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that's, that's in, in theory. In, in reality, they might just stick on the roster because they're Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton. And I think they are both pretty washed at this point. Um, I saw you mention this a couple of times. Simmons didn't have a primary assist as a Leaf. He's, just, he's, a, he's never been a good passer. Uh, he's always, his value has always been his shot generation, really. Like, he, he, you know, in his prime was a truly great power forward. That guy who did get to the dirty areas, generated a lot of shots there, um, won that puck battles in corners, especially um, in, in the offensive zone. And, you know, that was a really, really useful trait. Great on the power play at, at points in his career as well. Uh, he's not that guy anymore, though, right? That's just the reality. Um, and then Thornton, you know, one of the best players ever should have been on the NHL top 100, but time comes for us all, and it looks like it's come for him. Um, so, I, I, I think I probably say no to essentially any deal. I think we can do better. Okay, I, I, I think I would say no too. If they bring one back, I don't think I'll be all that upset, especially if Simmons is taking a pay cut. I could do one. I think with two, it's kind of tricky because I. As I know, you know, you had just mentioned, it's tough to scratch them if their play doesn't warrant it. They might take another step back next year as well. Mm. Uh, if I had confidence that they would scratch them and just bury them like what they did to BZ, if they weren't playing well, I, I might be more willing. Um, I just found that they they really lack transition skill in their bottom six come playoff time. I, I mentioned this a few times now, but I felt they pigeonholed that fourth line where you know, Spezza was on the wing most of the year because he was best on the wing. And then they move him to center for the playoffs to really get Thornton and Simmons in the lineup and to put them on the same line. And, you know, I don't think Thornton or Simmons have as much transition skill. And I, also, I'm ex I'm penciling in Spezza for a, a, a right wing spot in the bottom six. And I, I feel like he's not best on the checking line. I feel like Simmons is kind of iffy there. Like Simmons isn't that strong defensively. And I just think that, you know, I prefer Engvall and Mikhaev in terms of any sort of defensive role. So if, if, 
Simmons too. Like, I don't know if he's going to take a 50% pay cut. Like if he's going to go to league min from 1.5, he's making half as much. Um, so I'm, I'd be hesitant of, of those two. If they bring one back, I won't, you know, lose my mind, but it, it would be tough for me to justify bringing either back, I guess, based on the, on the playoff performance. And, if, if if Thornton's not here, then he can't be on the top power play, and and that gives me a little bit of peace of mind. Yeah, man, that was that was just frustrating because you know, it, it's it, as you said with uh with Colorado and with Tampa, they have shooting threats everywhere, and you know Marner's a unique player in the NHL, who this elite offensive player who really isn't much of a shooting threat. And as we said, you know, we think you can work around that, but the way to work around that is absolutely to not have the other very unique you know, all-time player who is not much of a shot threat, but is a ridiculous passer. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, it's, you know, it, I definitely think that passing and shooting play off of one another in the sense that you need to be a threat to score in order for your um, passes to be as good as they can. And the thing with Marner is he, he is a threat uh, when he gets close enough in. Like, his career shooting percentage and uh, shooting above expected is not particularly bad. I think it's around average, maybe even slightly above. Uh, it's just, you know, from distance, he has essentially no shot at all. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's good enough that he's a threat to be respected when he gets to the areas of the ice that he, he op- likes to operate from. But, you know, when you have multiple players who are not threats from distance on power plays, that's, that's rough because power plays are, you know, built on shots that are, you know, at least from some distance, like usually the dots. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, we could probably talk about that top power play unit for another hour. <laughs> oh god! It, it was it was so it was yeah. I wanted to pull, pull my hair out. It was unforgivable. Um, I, that's why I think there's plenty of blame to go around, whether it's coaching staff, whether it's you know management, whether it's it's the players themselves. I mean, you could have put Matthews and Martin in a better position to succeed, especially on the power play. Um, just a couple, one more question. I would say we'll do trivia quickly after that, but goaltending. So Jack Campbell had a very strong playoffs. He makes 1.65. Freddie, I'm assuming, is gone unless he's going to take a, a, a pretty team-friendly contract. I'm just wondering, how much are you thinking of spending on a goalie? Like, So the trade-off is, is that goaltending is the most important position in hockey, and Jack Campbell doesn't really have a long history of, of success or even a long history of just being healthy. I mean, he went through injuries this year. Uh, I, I know as Leafs fans, you've seen Hutchison, you've seen Garrett Sparks, so you kind of know the struggles of having a $700,000 goal, goalie. But are you thinking of a 1B, like a $4, 5000000 million range? Obviously, Marner's going to have an impact on this and Riley and, and what you do elsewhere. But what kind of goalie are you, are you kind of looking at? I try and go cheaper than that. Um, and I, that, that always sounds much better than it... <laughs> works in practice because you look at the the list of free agents and you're like oh um <laughs> a th- you know three three and a half would be great like maybe you know jonathan bernier can come back i don't know if he'll want to right yeah. that's the other thing goaltending is a thin market so if one guy's just like nah i don't want to go to toronto for whatever reason it's like oh okay well that puts a dent in our fans um <laughs> there, there's there's a couple like you know allmark uh would, would be interesting i i don't know what's going to happen with with Halak in Boston, he's like 36, probably going on 37 by the time next year comes around. But he's still good, and I still I still trust him. Um, so th- there are options there, but yeah, n- again, there's going to be trade offs, right? Like 
I think if you spend four to five million, you're not really guaranteeing yourself a whole lot more, right? right. Like who, who are you trying to go for at that point, right? Like maybe, I don't know, Grubauer? But I, is Grubauer no, even going to leave? He'll be more. He'll be more. he'll be more, right? Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe Marasic at that price range? Yeah. You know, Halak didn't have the best year, I guess, because 905 this year is amazing before that. Uh, I don't know, like, at his age, it'd be a little risky, it, it's um, definitely it's definitely risky, yeah. Yeah, Bernie, I think, would be a good one. The other thing is, like, maybe that's where you make a trade. Like, the goaltending market is, you know, if a team has three goalies, they're going to trade one. It's just how it works. Sometimes you get a deal. Uh, I think, you know, how the Leafs got Anderson was, you know, they, they decided between Gibson and Anderson they were going to pay one, and they went with Gibson. So they got a bit of a, a, a bit of a deal that way. So, yeah, I think maybe you go the trade route there, but... Uh, I think the cheaper the better, but I do think that we want more than just. Uh, I don't. I, I don't think I'd be happy with Riddich. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he 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 was. He had some bad goals. He he was he was good when he was facing the Leafs and pretty bad against every other NHL team. Yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, he doesn't sign in the division because he he's amazing against the Leafs. So we'll hope he goes west. Last question here. It's going to be the trivia to end it off. Which <laughs> Leafs prospect won the President's Cup for the QMJHL championship? I believe it was yesterday. Uh, Mikhail Abramov, right? Perfect. So, Mikhail Abramov, I want to give him a shout-out. He tied for the tournament lead. He was, I believe he's the first European captain to win not only the... I read this on Twitter, so I don't have it fact-checked, but... Um, not only the Q championship, but just any of the CHL championships. First European captain. He's, he's going to be on the Marlies next year, I assume. Lots of offensive talent there. So, Arvind, you went one for one on the trivia. And I want you to just let people know, A, where can they find your work? And B, what's your Twitter handle? Sure. So, uh, you can find uh, my work, uh, my the podcast I do with uh, Acting the Fooliman at penchapanpublics.com. Uh, and it's also on, you know, any podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. And then you can follow me on Twitter at RV, A-R-V-I. Perfect. Back to Excited is the name of his podcast. Yes, I should have mentioned that. It's called Back <laughs> to Excited, which is a, a horribly, horribly ironic name at this point. <laughs> well, let's hope that next year you get back to Excited. But thanks yeah. for joining me this week, Arvind. And we'll thanks see everyone me. next. We'll see everyone next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care.